Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. Jerry's here, barely. And this is Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> well, we should explain what that means. It's very ambiguous and strange sounding. Should we, though? <laughs> Jerry had a poor internet connection and was a few minutes late. That's it. She's barely here. Yeah. Mystery solved. That, joke it feels, killed. It feels tenuous, too. That she's just barely hanging on by her fingernails? Well, no. I think, I don't know, that internet connection just sounded dodgy. That's what I'm saying. She came in like, yeah. Houston, we have a problem. You know that internet connection sound? <laughs> right. Sounds like <laughs> Apollo 13. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. Me too. I even ate some honey for lunch today. Uh, I had a little dab at brek- at brekkie. Okay. Uh, which I don't usually eat, but I ate another toast with a, a spun honey spread. Good for you, man. So uh, spun honey, are you talking about the creamed honey? Is that what I'm hearing now? Yeah, creamed, okay. spun, or uh, I think there's one more word for it. But we always called it spun honey growing up. And boy, is it good. And guess it what? Is. It is just as healthful, uh, has just as many healthful properties as regular honey. It doesn't spinning it or the, the process of getting it to that state doesn't change it at all. Yeah, it's like honey in a different format. Like if you had a really great song, like um, uh, play that funky music, White Boy, and okay. you had it on 8-track, but you also mm-hmm. had it on record. It's the same <laughs> song. It's just in two different formats, right? Yeah. Same it, thing. Uh, yeah, I like that. I, I really dislike that song, though. I really do, too, actually. Um, although hey. I have a great memory of it. Um, uh, I guess sometime around Piedmont Park, it must have been St. Patrick's Day, this like car full of dudes came up. They were wearing like green wigs and everything. They were ready to throw down for St. Patrick's Day. And they mm-hmm. were blaring that song. And like everybody in the car was singing it, having like the best time. And That's- then... Right on the money. It totally was. (laughs) And then as they got out of the car, all of them are, like, just, like, boogieing down the street still, like, going to the bar. And one Uh of them, like, stopped kind of and, like, turned around and and made eye contact with me. (laughs) It was, I think, (laughs) he'll be embarrassed for the rest of his life about that. I didn't even stare him down. (laughs) He just, he initiated that embarrassing situation. So you could tell he felt some shame because you were just looking at him? A little bit. And, again, not staring them down. You know me, uh-huh. I'll stare somebody down, but sure. not these guys. This was, this was he initiated it. But hey, good for them. I bet they had a blast. 
So honey, I think is what we were originally talking about, right? Yeah, and the Grabster helped us with this one, and this was uh, my commission because Emily is very much into, uh, you know, she's gotten very much into her herbs and growing herbs and, and spices, n- natural remedies and things, and honey is a big part of that. Uh, and although mm-hmm. we are not beekeeping yet, that could be on the docket for us. I hope so, man. I think beekeeping is one of the neatest things you can do. I'll bet it's so relaxing. Yeah, she's she's interested in it, and uh, so th- that might happen. Tell me how it goes if she does that. I will. Okay. Yeah, I'll follow up. Um, we've actually done an entire episode on beekeeping. Um, yeah. It was one of our best, if you ask me, certainly our most homespun episode by far. Mm. Um, so we're not going to talk too much about beekeeping, but you pretty much can't discuss honey without also talking at least a little bit about beekeeping. It's so beekeeping adjacent. Yeah, it would be weird to not mention it. But I, I just want to say, if you have not heard our beekeeping episode, or you haven't heard it in a while, go listen to it because it's a really, really good app. Did we do bees and bee beekeeping? Yes. Yeah, we've okay. done bees, beekeeping, now honey. Yeah, and uh, one of our uh, TV show episodes was about bees. It was one of the sillier episodes, I think. It was. I in wrote that way. episode. Yeah, that's probably what was silly. I think you had a good eye for. Uh, the absurd for that show. Thanks and, a lot. And I mean that in a complimentary way. Oh, I took it that way. Okay. I love absurdist comedy, and you <laughs> nailed it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Honey. Ed helped us with this one, I think you just said. And I think he did about the best, most um, clinical description of Honey that you could possibly come up with. Well, uh, where's that? Was that like his definition? Yeah. I mean, he talks about basically what Honey is and how it's made. Oh, so you're just saying start from, take it from the top? <laughs> Basically. But I thought the way he did it was like, here's, here, it's totally unambiguous. Yeah, yeah. Completely were, understandable. Agreed. And it's just a, it's a good descriptor of honey and how it's made. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff by the Grabster. Uh, so yeah, a bit of a refresher though, but we all know that bees like to fly around to different flowers mm-hmm. and stick their face in them and dance all over them and do kind of fun things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a sugary liquid called nectar in flowering plants, and bees are wild about the stuff for a lot of reasons. Uh, one reason is, like, you know, sometimes they just drink it. Like, they want to save that stuff in what's called their crop or their honey stomach to bring back to the hive. That's their main job. Mm-hmm. But when they're out there working all day, they're also like, let me take a little bit of this sweet stuff down for me. I wonder if there's any bees out there, seriously, that have – like a bit of a problem with right. nectar. <laughs> yeah, it goes from one for me, three for you, to three for me, one for you. Kind of. I wonder if there's some that like just kind of drink it more than others. There's got to be. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yes, but for the most part, when they're out there harvesting and foraging for uh, nectar, they're using their um, crop, a honey stomach, which they can store, I think, um, a thousand flowers worth of nectar in. That is a lot. A lot of nectar, Um, which is weird because I saw that it can grow to about 100 times its size. So 100 times its initial size, holding 1,000 flowers worth of nectar, that's just a a very efficient um, organ. And it just sits there. It's not doing anything. It's not digesting. Um, It's just basically for carrying back to the hive. By the way, I had the most amazing dad joke that I failed to tell. What was it? Should I tell it now? Of course. <laughs> when you said it, it just popped into my head. That's why I, I know that I'm just on the way down. 
comedically. Well, that means the podcast is on the way down, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, you were talking about the bees having the problem with uh, drinking too much honey. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, they could always just go to a BB meeting. <laughs> oh, boy. That was good. <laughs> that wasn't bad. That was a really good one. I don't know. All right. Well, I would love to hear from people. Terrible or, or borderline genius? Okay. Well, I'm registering the first vote, and I'm going to say somewhere in the middle of those two. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say there's no in between, but of course there is. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So you, where'd you leave off with eating pollen? That they take the nectar back to their 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 nest, their hive. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll chime in here with the pollen part. Okay. Uh, bees are obviously accidentally transferring this pollen but, you know, some of this pollen is getting eaten and mixed in with that honey, too, mm-hmm. uh, because they love it because it's got protein and fat. Mm-hmm. And so what you end up with when you go back to the hive is a gut or crop or a honey stomach full of this nectar, a little bit of pollen. There's probably like just dust and things from the air. Mm-hmm. And they start puking it up into each other's mouths, chewing on it some, puking it around, transferring it to one another. Until it's ready for storage. Right. Which sounds gross. It is, but Ed makes a really good point here that um, they're not actually, it's not actually bee vomit. Honey's not bee vomit. And I've, I've said that before, so I think I'm kind of being inadvertently taken to task by Ed. Because, again, these, oh, did you really? Oh, yeah, definitely. I've said that okay. every chance I've ever had. <laughs> but, the the again, the, the bee crop, the honey crop, um, is not... Um, digesting. So what they're regurgitating is virtually the same thing that's going in. So it's not really puke. It's just something else. But yes, they are transferring it from mouth to mouth. And as each bee takes another mouthful of nectar and then passes it around, they're chewing it for a little bit. And one of the things they're doing is absorbing some of the moisture inside. They're also mixing in their own enzymes. And what they're doing in that sense, they're they're transforming nectar into honey. So honey mm-hmm. is a, a mixture of bee enzymes, flower nectar, pollen, and um, that's dehydrated and combines to form brand new compounds, and that's that's what honey is. Yeah, and as we'll see, there there can be other things in there because it's nature, and these are sort of messy, although beautiful processes. Mm-hmm. So as we'll, as you'll see when we talk about like completely raw unfiltered honey, there may be some bee legs in there, sure, and some other little bee. But there may be a piece of a wing, uh, because you know this is just how things go out there in the wild. And sometimes some bees have really bad days. <laughs> yes, that's when they go to the bee bee meetings. So um, there's there's another way that what we've been talking about is blossom honey. What most people think of when they think of honey, there's actually one other way to make honey. And do you remember in our ant episode where ants are ranchers of aphids and the aphids suck the the juice out of plants and produce yeah. honeydew? Well, bees go find that honeydew in some cases and can actually make honey from the sap of the stems, leaves, and, and like bark of trees and other plants. And they basically harvest that like they harvest nectar from flowers. And so there's a whole, there's an entirely different way to produce honey that comes straight from the plant, not even from the, pl- the flowers, and that's called honeydew honey. Honeydew honey. Have you ever had that? I don't think I have. I was looking it up to see, like, what some types of honeydew honey are, and I couldn't find many, and mm-hmm. nothing that I found sounded like anything I've had before. Okay. Uh, we should point out that all, not all bees produce honey, obviously. 
Uh, there are a lot of different species of bees, and we went over those in great detail in the bee episode. Uh, but the honeybee is from the genus Apis, and uh, there are some other bees that do make make honey. But like the 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 chief honey bee is the western honeybee. This is the 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 stud when it comes to making great honey. This is the one we domesticated. Mm-hmm. This is the one that makes so much honey. They have enough for them. Uh, they have enough for us. And everybody is happy, basically, um, which is one of the things I love about beekeeping. Mm-hmm. It seems like one of the geez, few things where we extract something from nature for ourselves where there's enough to go around. And if you do it in the right way, it's, uh, it doesn't harm the thing that, that gave it to you. Yeah, that is kind of a beautiful thing about it. And as we'll see, the fact that honey exists is kind of miraculous. And that's just kind of like the cherry on the top, Chuck, that we can harvest honey without mm. harming or um, uh, the bees or taking some of their head stash for us. Like, right. they just make a little <laughs> extra for us and we can take that. I think it's wonderful, too. So, yeah, you you know, you mentioned we have a whole episode on beekeeping. But um, as a short refresher, this has been happening for a long time. Uh, they were... People were collecting honey, um, you know, in uh, the Mesolithic period. So there are like cave drawings that depict this stuff. So we've always liked the honey as humans. Uh, And then, you know, there's a belief that it may have just like beekeeping may have happened by accident Mm -hmm. when a hive maybe set up in a a jar or basket or something that was outside at somebody's place. And they went, hey, wait a minute. Like this awesome honey is now in this jar on my back porch, like, I wonder if we could do this, like, intentionally and do it on purpose. And they kind of just started doing it. That's what the thought is, at least. Yeah, and they think that originally maybe some of the earliest, earliest artificial hives were um, some sort of clay pot or something that they repurposed for that. Um, Sometimes maybe they came across a hive and they're like, this is pretty firmly attached to the stick. I'm just going to take yeah. the whole stick home with me. <laughs> I hope. Farm it like that, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, regardless, at some point, somebody probably just stumbled upon this. And then in very short order, um, it started to spread. Um, they think that beekeeping at least goes back um, about 5,000 years ago. Um, there's evidence of it in Egypt, the Indus Valley, and Mesopotamia. And then China, about 800 years after that, evidence of beekeeping uh, starts up. And you would guess the people of China and the people of Mesopotamia may not have been in contact at the same time or at that time. So it's really possible that beekeeping just kind of independently Mm-hmm. grew up or evolved in different societies and cultures around the world independently. Yeah, and it was something because you're using like clay jars and things like you were saying. You didn't need to forge metal. It wasn't super expensive. It was something that uh, there it was a low barrier to entry, I guess, is what you would say these days. Yeah, totally. So, And it was really delicious and, as we'll soon find out, super beneficial. So it became a big deal. Yeah. Um, one of the earliest artificial hives is still um, pretty much the symbol for a beehive. If you w- look at any A.A. Uh, a. Milne Winnie the Pooh illustrations. Yeah. Um, like it's called it's it's basically a, a cone, a baskety cone turned upside down. So you take an ice cream cone, turn it upside down on the ice cream part, make mm-hmm. it kind of bubbly. And mm-hmm. there you go. That's a skep. Yeah, that's great. Totally. And that's why where you get your uh, beehive hairdo 
is named after these things. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, things just advance from there. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I say we take a break now. Okay. And then talk about what's in honey and what makes it so good for us. Sounds good. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so the question of what is in honey... 
is very easy to answer because it's almost all sugar. Uh, there is some water in there, although, you know, like we mentioned, part of the um, process of getting uh, to the honey state is to remove as much moisture as possible. Mm -hmm. But you still need some moisture. Um, so it's, you know, something that you can squirt out of a, a plastic bear. Sure. Uh, which you can later make a bong out of. <laughs> I think most everyone that was in college when True Romance came out probably tried that. Totally. And by the That's way, so long sixth grade classes that were just listening to this right. episode. <laughs> Poor teacher who just ran to the front of the class. <laughs> and hit stop. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm sorry. What's a bong? <laughs> um... Was that Ralph Wiggum? It was. It was a pretty oh, good okay. one. Yeah. So it's mostly sugar, and it's, believe it or not, it's mostly simple sugar, uh, fructose and glucose. There are some complex sugars, but that's not to say just because honey is uh, mainly just sugar and simple sugar that it's not complex, because it really no. is. It is super complex. It's Again, the word miraculous just keeps bringing to mind. Yeah, And I'm definitely not one of those intelligent design people. I just think honey is something really special, though. <laughs> and sure. so, like, yes, it does have the simple sugars. It has very complex sugars. Let me throw out a couple of these names just to kind of blow your mind. Did you practice? All right. Uh, there's maltopentose. Okay. I didn't add the extra T in there. I wanted to so bad. Galactose. Uh -huh. That's an amazing name. There's also isomaltotriose. Nice. These are not your average everyday sugars like fructose and glucose, both of which are found in honey. But that's just the sugars. And again, the simple sugars combine with other enzymes in the bee's mouths to create these much more sophisticated sugars, some of which have like actual protective health properties we found. But that's just the sugars. There's also amino acids, enzymes, polyphenols, flavonoids. And when you start looking at all of the different things that pop up in honey, that's in honey, and, and you look at each one individually and you look them up, you will find that they do all sorts of amazing things. And when you put all of it together, you just can't help but step back and say, honey is miraculous. Yeah. And let's have a spoonful. Yeah, exactly. That's the second thought that follows. Uh, it is. It has, in fact, you mentioned amino acids. It has all nine all nine essential amino acids, uh, which are the ones that we need that we don't make in our own body. Uh, so we have to eat them. Um, it is, and we'll get to the healthy stuff in like 12 seconds, but we do need to mention that one of the other great things about honey is that it's, I don't know about last forever, maybe. I know they pulled honey out of like Egyptian tombs and reconstituted it to where it was fine. So maybe it does last forever, but it is acidic. It has antibacterial properties, so that means honey will last you a long, long time. And if you find an old, hard, you know, lump of honey in a jar in your house that you forgot about, mm -hmm. you can probably make that honey awesome again with very little effort. Yeah, supposedly what you do is you just throw it in that jar, and you take <laughs> that jar and you put it in like a bath of very hot tap water. Do not heat it up on the stove. Just put it in hot tap water, and very slowly that, that um, chunk of honey will turn back into liquid gold, a.k.a. honey. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of mixed messaging around um, honey being toxic mm -hmm. if it's heated um, beyond a certain point. Sure. Uh, because, the you know, there there's ancient wisdom that says it becomes toxic. Other people these days say, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I mean, surely there's a study about this. Surely. and I didn't really find one. I found one about 
lab rats and the honey heated with ghee. Okay. But that wasn't only honey. That sounds kind of good. And I, it does, doesn't it? But I don't know if I just didn't have time to find the study because it seems like a simple enough thing to research. Like you heat the honey. Yeah. And, and feed it to a monkey and see if it dies. So I'm kidding, by the way. <laughs> but the thing is, Chuck, is you raised something that came up for me later on um, that I'll just put here. Like the stuff we do to animals is unconscionable. A hundred yeah. years from now, our cohort is going to be looked at as just so yeah. barbaric. And one of the things that kind of raised my hackles was, um, as as we'll see later on, one of the things they think honey can help with is um, neurological disorders or um, mental imbalances. Mm-hmm. And um, they test that stuff on rats. And one of the things they found was that um, in rats, it recovers hopeless behavior, sorry, in mice that have undergone restraint stress for 21 days. And I was like, restraint stress doesn't sound very good. What is that? They put the mouse in a tube where it can't move any of its limbs or body or anything. And they kept it there for 21 days. And you think being put in a tube as a human being for 21 days where you couldn't move, like I can barely breathe just saying that out loud, right? Yeah. That's 21 human days. Imagine what 21 days is in the length of a, a mouse's life. And yeah. then, by the way, after they studied the mouse after taking it out of the tube, they probably killed it shortly after that. So that yeah. mouse's entire life was spent under restraint stress in a tube. And this is just one of the myriad things that we do to animals. And the more I just kind of come across this stuff casually mentioned in this really mm-hmm. dry clinical tone in peer-reviewed papers, the more I'm just like, this is... I don't know that we can justify this. And yes, we've come up with so many amazing things to help humanity along, but I really think we should be we should be allocating a significant uh, amount of our research efforts to figuring out how to not use animals to come up with those same amazing yeah. breakthroughs because it's just wrong. It's cruel and wrong, and there's there's really basically no justification for it in the greater scheme of things. And that's my soapbox. I think that's your first soapbox moment of 2023. Oh, it definitely is. Now that you mention it, sure. All right. That means we're going to toast uh, some Amaro. Clink. That is uh, good for your body as well. Uh-huh. What's your and Amaro that you like? Congratulations. You know, I got a few of them. That's going to be a future, like very near future topic, by the way. Oh, okay, cool. Because um, I've gotten very into Amaro. Mine is Montenegro. Montenegro is Amaro fantastic. Montenegro is so good. And it's really good to mix cocktails with, too. It sure is. A little bourbon and some Amaro yeah. or some rye and Amaro. A little bit of that. It'll fix delicious. It. It'll fix a mouse that's been in um, restraint stress for 21 <laughs> days right up. Some uh, orange bitters, a little shake of that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Even right, just so also, that's... Chuck, by the way, just a <laughs> yeah. little bit of Amaro Montenegro, like a, a, I think an ounce of that, and some um, good uh, seltzer is really oh, good sure. on its own too. That's a digestive and a half. It definitely is. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, recently I went to uh, L.A. just for the day to see our friend Ben Harrison. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, our our friend and uh, booking agent Josh Lindgren mm-hmm. and our uh, my friend Adam Pranica. You'd love Adam. You just haven't hung out with him much. But we went to Musso and Frank. And I'll just say this, and I haven't been drinking much lately, but we had a day. And we're way too drunk to be in Musso and Frank. <laughs> I could tell from your Instagram posts from it. Yeah. I was it, like, Chuck just... looks really happy in these photos. <laughs> 
this great big meal and drinks and all this stuff at one of the oldest restaurants in Hollywood. And at the very end, uh, Ben Harrison just shouts out, is that it? We we're like, yes, nothing else. And Ben went, four amorrows. Oh, yeah. So that's how we ended our meal. Wow. Very Which is nice. supposed to help with a hangover. So let's not blow all of our knowledge on Amaro right here. Well put, Chuck. <laughs> you jerk. All right. So health qualities of honey is where we left off 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of health benefits, and there are lots of studies that back this up, which is great. Um, there are medicinal uses that have been academically studied and and verified. So this isn't like, you know, witchy hokum or woo-woo stuff like that. Honey is really, really good for you, and we've known this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that honey is great for is if you have allergies. Uh, if you they, they did studies where they looked over the course of a couple of months during allergy season, and it had significant reductions in uh, what's called uh, rhinitis. 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 Rhinitis, which is, you know, stuffy nose, sneezing, uh, aller- allergic sort of qualities. Fear of rhinoceri. And, <laughs> and this was like quite a bit of honey. I think it was one gram of honey per kilogram of body weight. It's a lot of honey. It's a lot of honey, but it works. And, you know, it's better than uh, some dumb allergy medication. So you remember our immunotherapy episode from very early on. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about eating honey to mm-hmm. um, get over allergies, and it totally makes sense because you're exposing totally. yourself to the local pollen. That's why people who say this actually works to get yourself over allergies say it won't, it won't work unless you are eating local honey, meaning yeah. like within 20 or th- I think 30 miles of where you live because you, you're exposing yourself little by little to that pollen, and your body's like, oh, this, is, this stuff's not that bad. We won't give you any more allergies. Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons to eat local honey and eat locally, period, uh, not the least of which is that's just how it was for gazillion years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ate what was near you because you couldn't get anywhere else, and that's just sort of the better way to eat. Yeah, I've really gotten into green grapes lately. They're just so good, and they're so good for you. You just always have like a bowl of them out, and we just I love green left grapes. grape season. Ugh. And the stuff that's out now is just, bleh, it's so bad. Yeah. It's just like you put it in your mouth and there's no like pop to it. It just mushes. And it's I'm like, like oh, this is not any good. <laughs> yeah, it is like an eyeball. It's really, it's like a rotten eyeball basically. So oh, God. I'm I'm off of grapes. I'm trying to find a grape replacement until they come back in season. Grape replacement is not a bad band name. Actually, it is a bad band name, but I could see someone naming their band that. That seems like a side project band name. Right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what about in, uh, inflammation? That's, you know, inflammation we've talked a lot about. That's it's not the root cause of every problem humans have, but inflammation is one of the leading causes of all, of a lot of problems that humans have. Definitely. I think we need to do an episode on that. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, I mean, it's behind cardiovascular issues. Uh, your blood pressure might be high. Um, you might have gut problems, arthritis, some types of cancer. And it's your body basically mounting this immune response that is – overblown, and so you're suffering as a result, and it has all these terrible um, effects. Well, the flavonoids that I mentioned um, are, there's a ton of flavonoids, I think like 30 different flavonoids found in basically all types of honey, just to varying degrees, depending Mm -hmm. on what flowers it came from, and they are antioxidants. We've talked about antioxidants um, and whether or not they, they actually work or not. The jury's still kind of out, but there are some things that flavonoids do that are like, this is just demonstrably effective. One of the things they do is go to the genes 
that produce inflammatory proteins and say, nope, not today. You just, mm-hmm. you just rest easy. Stop making those things. So they block expression of inflammatory proteins. That's just one of the things that you can find in honey. Yeah. A, a pretty big one, if you ask me. Sure. Uh, if you want kind of one of the king daddies of healthful honeys, uh, you've probably heard of Manuka honey. Um, it seems to have, uh, I don't know about exploded, but it seems to have really garnered a lot more um, popular in popularity. Garnered popularity? Whatever. You know what I'm saying. Sure. In more recent years, partially because of marketing and PR, uh, but partially because Manuka honey is really good for you. Uh, this is a monofloral honey, which means, uh, as, as we'll talk about a, a bit more later, that it comes from a single flower as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, from New Zealand, and it's got a pretty short uh, period in which this flower flowers, and that makes it a more rare honey. That makes it more expensive, of course. Mm-hmm. But Manuka honey kind of does all the things that honey does times, you know, with a plus afterward. Yeah, supposedly the active ingredient for Manuka honey's antimicrobial properties is um, methoglyoxal. Um, it's a word as ugly as it sounds spelled out, but it has about a hundred times the amount that other types of honey have. And, um, that's one of the reasons why they're, everybody's so bully on Manuka honey. I think the other reason is because it, it is very rare. The Manuka shrub grows in fairly remote, isolated regions of New Zealand. So it's hard to get, and that means it's very expensive. So you can sell it for a lot of money. So anything you can say is Manuka honey, you can kind of hype, but there does seem to be some some actual like reality behind the hype. Yeah. Like there, there are people who do this and uh, who just like take a spoonful of Manuka honey every day Mm -hmm. as if they're taking their vitamins in the morning or something like that. For sure. And there's another one that's kind of come up recently that uh, has been rivaling Manuka's uh, Tualang honey. It grows in Malaysia. The thing Mm. is Manuka honey is a monofloral honey. As we'll see, it's just made from the Manuka, the flowers of the Manuka shrub. Tulang um, is called jungle honey. It, like it's just made from mm. whatever's flowering in Malaysia. But supposedly, the flowers that are growing in the jungles of Malaysia have a lot of amazing properties too. Because people are saying this Tulang, it's the hot new product. And okay. so long, Manuka, you're so over and done with. Yeah, jungle honey is a good song title. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe I'm just thinking jungle boogie. No, jungle honey. Sounds good. You put honey in, uh, with any other word, and it's going to make it more appealing, yeah, I right. think, for sure. <laughs> I love the word jungle. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, you said earlier you were starting your honey file. And I was like, you should call all files your honey file. <laughs> Maybe I will. Uh, honey is also good topically. Um, you can put honey, especially something like Manuka honey, on a skin knee or something like that. Uh, cuts, any kind of stubborn wounds. Uh, it's going to help out with. Um, they've done meta studies on putting honey on topically, and a lot of these were, uh, it seems like, from studies on diabetic foot wounds. Mm-hmm. This is what Ed found. But, you know, it healed faster. Uh, there was less inflammation. Apparently, it can reduce nasty odors. And even in diabetic foot wounds, helped reduce the need for amputation. Yeah. Um, uh, apparently that's with just about any honey you could use for wound healing, not just Manuka. Yeah. I saw a paper that said, actually, you might not want to use Manuka because that methylglyoxal is something that might actually prevent 
um, a, a diabetic foot ulcer from healing because oh, really? it's so potent. It might actually like kill off like the 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 new cells that are trying to form. But oh, wow. other honey has been shown, and is honey in general, that it actually does help heal diabetic foot ulcers and really any kind of wound. But the reason they say diabetic ulcers is because they have so much trouble healing because mm-hmm. there's so little circulation being led to that wound site that it just basically just persists. And if you slather some honey on there, you can say goodbye, stubborn wound. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, we already talked about blood pressure some, but we should note that some of the studies uh, have found that it reduces hypertension in women and not men. And that's not to say that it can't in men. But it's in, you know, Ed points this out very astutely that honey is just there's a lot of studies and meta studies and things. But, you know, it's something that bees make in nature uh, and that humans collect. So they aren't always the most consistent results when it comes to studies. Mm -hmm. And there's so many varieties and so many kinds of bees and where they live and then the flowers that they're pollinating and and getting that nectar from Mm -hmm. that it's uh, just because a study says something, it doesn't mean like that's the end, full stop. Yeah, one way or the other. Like, didn't find this property actually helpful or did. Yeah, there just needs to be more study. And, like, yes, they need to refine the, the study of honey, which yeah. I think we're in the in the midst of. Like right now in this podcast? Mm-hmm. We're helping move it along, <laughs> I think. What about cancer? Uh, cancer's another one. They think that um, basically there's, there's properties in honey that um, – create apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, and that they help target cancer tumors to um, to go ahead and, and die. Just die, die, die tumor. Um, and that's basically how chemotherapy works in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So yes, it does seem to have some sort of effect on cancer. I saw that um, not only has it, has it been shown to work uh, in the lab, like in, in cell lines of cancer cells, but that it's it's had some clinical um, results as well. But apparently when they go after cancer cells, there's something that's called blebbing. And blebbing is where um, a cell gets pulled away, like its membrane gets pulled away from the cytoskeleton, and there's like a bulge. And at that point, um, you have what's called blebbing, and that cell is in very big trouble. So honey goes after two, uh, cancer cells, it makes them bleb. Well, you know how I knew it would be something that makes you in trouble. What? Is that it's called blebbing. Yeah, exactly. That can't, that can't be good. No. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm blebbing. That's not yeah. a good sign. No one would ever say, oh, that's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, hi, bleb. Right. <laughs> uh, you mentioned neurological problems earlier a little bit. Um, obviously, this can be a whole host of things, but they have found, and this is another you know area that there needs to be a lot more testing, uh, but the clinical trials have shown some pretty good results in things like, uh, you know, depression, uh, dementia, mm-hmm. in, any kind of age-related, like, mental neurological deterioration, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even things like convulsions. Uh, they did – there was one study in some uh, some senior um, adults that where they had a placebo control group, uh, which had a about 400% greater incidence of dementia – than the group that took a daily tablespoon of honey. That is astounding. That's huge, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of study where it's like, no, that's the end. Nobody else needs to do any more <laughs> research. Just everybody eat a tablespoon of honey. And that's actually, yeah. that raises a good question that a lot of people have. It's like, wait a minute. 
Honey is a sweetener. Yes, it's natural, but it's got tons of sugar in it. So mm-hmm. is it really okay to eat a tablespoon of honey a day? And the answer is, in the West especially, um, you you should. Yes, go ahead and eat a tablespoon of honey a day, but make sure that what you're doing is exchanging the added sugars that you're eating in your diet normally for that tablespoon. Don't just add it to your normal diet. Figure out where you can cut down some sugar and use honey yeah. instead. And exactly. yes, you will probably be much better off in the long run because sugar is really not good for us at all. That's great. I think we take our second break here. We come back and we talk about uh, honeycombs, grades of honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still got a lot to go over, so let's get to it. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. 
We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, this suddenly turned into a short stuff. Go. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, we can talk about the honeycomb briefly. Again, that's in our beekeeping episode and our bee episode mm-hmm. um, and with a lot of detail. But uh, basically, you know, this the honeycomb is like that uh, hexagonal cell structure that you see mm-hmm. inside the hive uh, made of the wax that the bees produce. Uh, and they, you know, they, they make cells for storing honey or for housing that queen and the brood. But the important thing as far as the honeycomb goes is that humans came along as far as beekeeping uh, is concerned and said, you know, let me, let me build the frame of your house for you and you can come in and add the detail. So we started making these, um, you know, what would you call it? Like a form? A substrate. Ooh, look at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which gives the bees a little bit of a head start. Uh, and then, you know, the honey is in there. They extract that honey in a centrifuge. Uh, it leaves that, that honeycomb intact. Although you can uh, get that natural honey, if you've seen it in the store, with that, uh, or maybe at a farmer's market, local farmer's market, with mm-hmm. a honeycomb floating in that honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can eat that stuff. It's wax. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. And it probably makes you feel like uh, Martha Stewart or something. It makes my teeth feel gritty, so I don't like it. But I do know that it is edible for sure. Yeah. One of the things I saw, Chuck, though, I was like, well, wait a minute. If beekeepers are, like, making basically fully formed honeycombs for the bees to to use, this Mm -hmm. is going to produce some soft, lazy bees. But it (laughs) turns out there's actually a really good reason to do this, and that is that when bees produce their own wax, they have to Mm -hmm. eat honey to produce the wax. And they— they consume six pounds of honey to make one pound of wax. So by giving them the wax to begin with, you're saving all of that extra honey. They're just going to keep making that honey, and you're going to get more for it. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons we had that surplus. Uh, probably, I would think you so. Know? Yeah, if you're if you're keeping bees and you're not giving them preformed bee uh, wax beeswax cells, you're a chump. <laughs> Uh, there are lots of different ways to rate or grade honey. Uh, we're going to go over a lot of those now, uh, one of which is how much it's processed. Uh, we talked about right out of the hive. It's going to have some some bee legs and pieces of wing and <laughs> some yeast in there, some bacteria, some pollen, mm-hmm. maybe some dust, some honey crystals. Y- you know, you generally want to – I'm sure there are purists that just love that stuff. But sure. if, if you're selling it in a store, you probably want to remove um, – some of that or a lot of that uh, to make it a food product. Uh, the other reason why is because if there's something floating in your honey, that just gives a, the honey a solid thing in there to crystallize around. And generally, the the uh, honey-buying public sees crystallization as like, oh, that I don't want to buy that honey. I saw that that was mostly Americans that have an aversion to crystallized honey. That doesn't surprise me. And it's because we think that it's gone bad somehow. And again, yeah, all it is is like, yeah, there's been some crystallization of the sugars, and all you have to do is put in a nice tap water bath, and it'll go back. 
But yes, you can just totally eat crystallized honey. There's no problem with it whatsoever. But <clears throat> because they know their consumers, honey producers are like, we got to get the solids out of right. there. Um, so basically any honey you buy in the United States is going to have at least undergone macro filtering, what the USDA calls straining. And what that produces is raw honey. It's just they're getting out the biggest of the big solids. But then that's it. There's no more filtration whatsoever, and it's, it's raw honey, which is a bit of a misnomer because every honey uh, type that isn't pasteurized, and pasteurized mm -hmm. honey is just one small subset, every other type of honey is technically raw honey. It's not been heated. There's mm -hmm. nothing that's been killed off in it. It's all still raw. But I think what they're basically using the word raw for is like rustic honey. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you mentioned pasteurization. We might as well talk about that. Uh, the, I, I looked it up. I was like, why Why would you pasteurize honey? Because you typically think of pasteurization for more of like a dairy product. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically just there is no reason to do it that I found other than making it look and like pour out of the bottle or jar or whatever um, more freely. Um, it's smoother, apparently. Mm. Um, it's going to alter the flavor, obviously, because you're heating this honey up. Yeah. But uh, that's that's the only thing I found why you would pasteurize honey. Um, I saw that, you know, honey has all these antimicrobial, antiviral properties. That doesn't mean there's no such thing as bacteria in honey or there's no such mm -hmm. thing as mold spores in honey. And mold in particular can cause honey to ferment slightly. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's totally fine. You basically just have a free little mini shot of mead right there in, yeah. your, in your honey. But people don't like that kind of thing. So I think pasteurizing it kills off any of those potential microbes or yeast or mold or anything. I met a uh, hippie once in, I think, West Virginia mm -hmm. that made his own mead. I think I might have told the story before, but he gave me some mead. Yeah, somebody mailed us mead years and years and years ago. It's the only mead I've ever had in my life. I'm not a fan. It was a, it was fine. Yeah, I, it's not something I could drink regularly or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, if I, I were in West it. Virginia wearing right. nothing but a pair of overalls, <laughs> I could probably drink a little mead. This is a nice guy, despite the fact that he was a fish fan. <laughs> I'm getting killed for knocking fish, by the way. Just keep it up, though. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is all the people that have written in are trying to talk me into liking fish. Right. They're like, surely you clearly haven't listened to fish and you don't know yeah. what you're talking about. It's they do it. It's all almost verbatim. It's funny. It's almost like they had talking points they shared. <laughs> but uh, I know fish fans wouldn't share talking points. It's not the fish way. No way. Uh, back to the filtering, mm -hmm. uh, we're jumping back to the other D, uh, USDA designation, which is filtered honey. Mm -hmm. And that is basically just more filtering. Uh, the filters are finer and it's going to remove almost all those solids that you're going to see. Uh, and it probably does require some heating because to get through those filters, you got to have it a little more viscous or less viscous. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but if you're ultra filtering, not only do you have to warm it up, you combine it with a lot of water. Yeah. Because you're pushing it through not, not quite reverse osmosis membranes, but something not too far off where it is getting yeah. everything out of the honey. So much so the USDA says this isn't honey. You can't call it honey, honey. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there's another way to basically achieve the same end without blasting it through an a, um, ultra-filtered membrane. And that's using diatomaceous earth. And diatoms yeah. are fossilized microalgae with silica shells. And this is the shells left over. Um, and they are 
super tiny, but they pick up even tinier particles. They are attracted to them. They get stuck in the shells. And then you filter out the diatoms, and then you've also filtered out the stuff even further. So you don't have to use quite as fine a filter because the diatoms have sucked up all the stuff that would have passed through that filter that's catching the diatoms. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. You might remember uh, diatomaceous earth from our cockroach episode because mm. that's the stuff that you can spread around that they eat that kills them from the inside out. It also dries fleas out, too. If you have a flea problem, you can oh, yeah. spread diatomaceous earth on your carpet, and it will help. Yeah, I've, I've been through that. Uh, we talked about spun honey already. Mm-hmm. And just want to reiterate that spun honey or creamed honey or whipped honey, it's all the same thing, and it still doesn't lose any of those healthful properties. Uh, You can also rate honey by color, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, honey has a great range of color, and they, you know, technically it's called optical density, uh, but what they use the the Pfund color scale. I think it's just Pfund. No, really, (laughs) like Pfister, the fabulous faucet with a funny name. Yeah, but I always say Pfister just because I think it's fun. Oh, okay, well then, yes, this would definitely be fun. <laughs> and this is a scale from zero, which is water white, all the way to 114 and above, which is dark amber. Very nice. Uh, and then what's the deal with organic honey? So organic honey is a different type of classification. Any of the stuff we've talked about, ultra-filtered, pasteurized, raw, microfiltered, creamed, all of that stuff could also be organic honey. Basically, as long as the, the organic techniques... Uh, that the USDA requires were used to um, create the honey. And also on the plants that the bees are harvesting uh, nectar from. That's right. So that's it. So from what I can tell, based on all this information, grade A raw organic honey is probably top of the pops for anybody. Top of the pops. And then when it comes to flavors, uh, this is where we get into sort of the last piece. We mentioned uh, monofloral. Uh, the other end of the spectrum would be multifloral, mm-hmm. and that is just simply what these bees are flowering uh, on, or what they're what kind of flowers they're dancing with. Sure, uh, if they're dancing with one flower, and you know, Ed points out, bees are bees, so it, it may be hard to make sure that's the only thing. But they're very usually promiscuous. <laughs> they are. Uh, if it's labeled monofloral honey, that probably means that they have uh, this. A farm has planted a very very large area of one thing. So it's really likely that the bee is eating almost all of that. Mm-hmm. Or you can, like the wildflower honey, it's just multifloral. It's like, hey, whatever's in the area, mm-hmm. have at it. Uh, there can be different flavors, but uh, it's not exactly – like there are notes of things. Right. It's not like if you eat orange blossom honey, it tastes like you squirt an orange in it, but – there will be like notes of citrus and things like that. I actually saw on a site um, of different types of honey that they warn you that if your orange blossom honey smells like orange fragrance, then you've got some sort of fake honey that it's being right. counterfeit in some way. It's not like that. Like you said, it's notes, but orange blossom honey has citrusy notes. Pumpkin blossom honey has pumpkiny notes. Um, uh, I think sourwood is herbal and woodsy. Or no, that's. Um, Oh, what is that, Chuck? Linden. Linden honey. Herbal and woodsy. Eucalyptus honey has like a slight menthol note to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Buckwheat honey, I don't think I've ever had it, but it's almost like black in color. It's definitely the dark amber side of the Pafun scale. Um, (laughs) But it also has like kind of like a slight bitter note to it, too. I want to try it. 
It sounds almost like torturous, but I would still try. I'll try basically any honey at least once. Yeah, and there are all kinds of great honey, um, sort of like flavored honeys, and the the honey is still in it, so it's still great for you and delicious. But like bourbon honeys and like uh, sort of spicy chili pepper honey and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of delicious things out there. Uh, one of our favorite things to do is go to the uh, our local farm co-op and get that local honey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, costs a little bit more, but, like, they're doing the right thing. And not like Will Ferrell and LeBron James. Did you see that? Did they get into honey? (laughs) They are. Actually, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, They partnered, along with some other celebrities, with a a company called Flamingo Estate, Mm -hmm. uh, which is listed here as an urban farm and lifestyle brand. Okay. Sells, you know, all kinds of stuff. Sells urban straw hats and... (laughs) Uh, but they serve curated farm boxes. But what they've done is I think they've gone to some of these celebrities who have large properties and said, hey, how'd you like your own honey? We can make we can keep bees on your property mm-hmm. and it will be called Will Ferrell Honey and it'll cost two hundred and fifty dollars a jar. No, uh, but it goes to charity. OK, they okay. pulled it out at the end there. <laughs> You know where they should go is the um, Magnum's estate. He has big avocado um, farms, and apparently, P. I? yeah, and apparently oh. avocado honey is a thing too. Okay, um, interesting. Before we uh, end this, Chuck, if you'll indulge me, I just wanted to rattle off the properties that have been found among some of the compounds that you find in honey. If Let's you'll hear it. indulge me, you ready? Mm-hmm. That these compounds found in honey are shown to possess uh, these properties. Antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-neoplastic, antimicrobial, anti-carcinogen, anti-arrhythmic, anti-leishmanial, uh, anti-thrombotic, anti-mutagenic, mutagenic, uh, anti-nociceptive, <laughs> anti-mycobacterial, anti-proliferative, and immune-boosting properties. Not to mention that it's hypocholesteremic, cardioprotective, antihypertensive, hepatoprotective hypoglycemic, and uh, neuroprotective, nephroprotective, gastroprotective, so on, so forth. And it can improve sperm count and their motility and protects against vaginal and uterine atrophy. Plus, it improves the normal estrus cycle. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's a, did you say antichrist in there? <laughs> I think so. It's miraculous, wow. but in like the reverse manner. Uh-huh. Uh, You got anything else? I have nothing else. I don't either. And that means, of course, everybody, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to make this one very short because I just wanted to uh, shout out that we got a, uh, I got an email from, uh, well, we got one from our old buddy, uh, Aaron uh, Mazel, who helps Mm -hmm. head up the Stuff You Should Know 5K. I'm glad you, you thought of this. Uh, but Aaron, I think, was trying to locate this English professor that taught my Shakespeare class. Yeah. I don't think she landed on it, but someone else did okay. and said, was it Dr. Vance? And I was like, oh, it totally was. It, as soon as I heard the name, I remembered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe Aaron, though, or now I feel bad because I can't remember if it was Aaron or the other person who wrote in, um, was still in touch with Dr. Vance, got in touch with him. Mm-hmm and said, hey, uh, Chuck took your classes. You may have even taken some classes from Vance. Who knows? Do you remember? Me? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, well, I guess so. I was an English major, so I was always over there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but Dr. Vance uh, sent in an email, which I haven't responded to, but I'm going to uh, do that today. It said, uh, Chuck, can't tell you how honored I was by your remarks on the podcast. I thank you so very much. Uh, all is well here. Loving retirement, traveling, grandchildren. And uh, here's my website in case you want to see what I've been publishing. And I think everyone should go check it out. It's uh, mystery, uh, thrillers, literary horror, humorous romance, oh, historical nice. fiction. Wow. All kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and you can find all this at authorjohnvance.com. Very nice. That was short and Chuck appropriately sweet for this episode. Good stuff. That was nice, man. Got a pat on your head from your old uh, your old English teacher. He was the best, man. Had a, you know, one of the few college professors who really impacted me. Yeah, like Robin Williams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't get that joke. Uh, you don't? No. From, um... Oh, Dead Poets Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you for saying that, because I was about to say, from Oh Captain, My Captain. <laughs> That's a uh, working title. So, uh, if you want to be like Dr. Vance and let us know how retirement's going for you, you can wrap it up in an email, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.